Saman. I'm the founder and CEO of Revolver PR. Um, and I'm excited to be here with a good friend of mine, Ed, um, to chat more. This From the Heart podcast is presented by Orange Kiwi Consulting. The three most challenging transitions owners face, namely scale, sale, and succession, can often result in costly and confusing journeys. But the good news is it doesn't need to be that way. At Orange Kiwi, we help our clients succeed where others have failed by coming alongside them to help them navigate the challenges others simply aren't able to. We understand how to help you avoid that costly and confusing journey that comes with realizing the results that you really want. Visit our website today at orangekiwillc.com and use the code HLG2021 to book a complimentary 30-minute consultation and find out for yourself how we can help you gain greater clarity, confidence, and control while experiencing less stress and more satisfaction. Awesome, Amanda. It's good to see you. We, uh, you and I met through a mutual friend, Lisa Thomas. Uh, Lisa listens to the show, so shout out to Lisa because she's a good friend of both of ours. She is. Um, so you've been working in PR, it says on your bio, in the sports entertainment and lifestyle brands. So let me go to lifestyle brands first, because I know sports, I know entertainment, but help me help yeah. a 57-year-old <laughs> white guy understand what a lifestyle brand is. Um, that's probably the most common question we get from folks. And the easiest way to describe it is more working with the brands who it's more of a want versus a need. Um, you know, we... Um, your wants are, you know, you, while you could shop at Walmart as a need, you want to shop at a target. Um, and so it, that's really more of, um, the easiest definition of a lifestyle brand or, um, you know, one of our favorites happens to be a champagne company. (laughs) (laughs) That's a lifestyle. Um, Yeah, absolutely. So that is kind of a perfect example of a lifestyle, but I also am a big believer in there's always something to celebrate. So while, I'm not really a drinker. There is always a bottle of champagne uh, chilling in my refrigerator. There you go. You always have to have that. <laughs> what um, What are some of the things that you love most about? We'll talk. Let's go back first. What What is the What are some of the right opinions that people have about PR, and what are some of the wrong opinions that people have about PR? I think some of the wrong. Uh, things people think about um, with PR is that we're kind of um, like wordsmiths in kind of a negative way and that all we're doing is managing uh, crises all day long and especially working in entertainment um, well, and sports, but I think more infamously entertainment, um, PR folks have always been known to cover up stories or plant stories or as if they were spin doctors and uh that is not uh what we do at all i think um i was asked this recently and oh i was joking with a friend uh a client he's a director in hollywood he loves when i'm on set so he can say oh this is my publicist and i always cringe a little at the term (laughs) because i feel like for me publicist has that negative connotation of being spin doctors and covering things up and um, being a PR professional is um, to me, you are working with integrity. We always believe in facts first, even if the fact is that you did do something wrong. I always think the best approach is, you know, to deal with it head on, um, admit to it, and then let's start working on, um, you know, whatever your recovery looks like, um, both you as a person and within your reputation um, in the public eye. So, uh, so how yeah. do you introduce yourself? That same scenario, you and your director client walk up to the same person and instead of him saying, this is my publicist, how do you introduce yourself if he didn't? Um, I always say that um, I handle all of his PR instead of saying I am his publicist. It is definitely the term in Hollywood to use his publicist. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it just has a very different definition than public relations or a PR professional and, um, and, you know, introducing yourself that way. So we touched on lifestyle brand. We'll go back. We touched on entertainment. We'll certainly go back, but let's go to my favorite topic, sports. Yes. Um, my podcast isn't all about sports, but I've had a lot of sports personalities on some that, you know, uh, Tim Mead 
the um, Love him. former PR person to to, to pick a, 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 a timely topic with the Angels, president of the Baseball Hall of Fame. Um, Tim's a very, very close friend. We were texting today. The Albert Pujols news that you and I were just talking about, that he's uh, not going to be playing for the Angels any longer. And uh, Tim and Albert obviously are very close because Tim was with the Angels for yeah. al- almost the entire time that Albert was there. Talk about your passion for sports. Where did that start? I'm always intrigued, male or female, regardless of ethnicity or gender. I'm always fascinated to hear how people got into just this passion for the sports world. I Sports, for me, started at a really young age, watching uh, the Lakers with my family. I always say bleed purple and gold. Um, the girl. Lakers are... Uh, Good or bad, you stick with your team, no matter what's happening. Yep. <laughs> um, yep. And we would watch um, together all the time. And, and we used to joke at a certain point, my mom, when she would watch games with us, the Lakers would always lose. But when she hmm. wasn't watching, they'd win. And so we had this kind of thing in our house. Don't come of, out of the room, right? Yeah. yeah. You can't, you can't <laughs> yeah. And she, um, she was such a good sport about it. Um, <laughs> and even now, if we're watching a Laker game and she calls she will actually hang up and say, oh, I don't want to talk to you during the game. I don't want to jinx it. <laughs> don't want to jinx it. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, it started off as a young age. I mean, I was an athlete. Um, I ran track and cross country um, in junior high and high school. Um, did not have a desire to do it in college. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that it kind of sparked it. Um, I think part of my heritage um really helped a lot. I'm Egyptian and uh, in Egypt, our national sport is um, soccer. They call it mm-hmm. football. Um, yep. And that was a big thing in our house. We would always watch um, soccer, no matter what the team was. We didn't really have a favorite as kids until we got a little older. And then the sibling rivalry between uh, favorite soccer teams ensued, which is a lot of fun. But yeah, yeah. that's really how it started. I just always... I love sport. My brother got me interested into um, auto racing of all kinds. My favorite is Formula One, and I do <laughs> have a need for speed. And uh, <laughs> I think if I wasn't doing PR, I probably would have really made a valiant effort at being some kind of like competitive auto racing. Wow. Um, I used to think motorcycle racing, but I think... Uh, something like Formula One or IndyCar, something would have been really where it was at for me. Have you had an opportunity, and I know you can't like dive into who clients are, but have you had a chance to work with or get to know uh, anybody like the, um, I know there's the fourth family in Orange County, and I know that, uh, you know, the daughter's there, Ashley, and I can't, I I, I know Ashley. I don't, I've met the others, John Force Racing and his daughters, and obviously Danica Patrick, when you talk about famous female racers, have you had a chance to, work with whether not them or any female uh, you know, people in the, in the racing industry? Um, I've not worked with any females in the racing industry. I have worked um, a bit in NASCAR and off-road racing. And um, there are actually other families, um, like the Renazetter family um, in Orange County. They have um, a team in the SCORE um, international racing, so a lot of off-road. Um and, you know, I grew up in the desert, so everybody was kind of a desert rat. So, like, all kinds sure. of, like, dirt biking, quadding, sports like that were always um, really prevalent. I had a lot of friends who raced professionally. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, I would love to work in Formula One. I almost did <laughs> um, <laughs> in what feels like a previous life. But, um, no, I've not... It's been a few years, but I've done um, quite a bit. NASCAR is a lot of fun being out on the track. Um, yeah. I mean, I think the, the roar of an engine is really what I love as well. So to me, sometimes it doesn't matter what it is. Uh, just being around it is really exciting, and I, I thrive off of that energy. So, Where did your love, what I'm hearing you say without saying the words, and I'm just going to make an assumption here, where did your love of competition come from? I mean, sports obviously is competition. I know there's a ton of competition in your industry. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how do you feel about competition? Where did that really, that passion for it come? What's interesting is I don't know that I consider myself a competitive person against other people. I've always been competitive against myself. 
mm-hmm. um, and just always having that desire to get better and compete at a different level um, for me, which is interesting because, you know, cross country is an individual sport running True. track, um, unless it's a relay or medley or anything, it's a solo thing. And I did the long jump. If you can believe it, I actually am very short. I know you can't tell on video, but <laughs> Ed knows because we've met in person. Yes. I am a five-one little thing, and <laughs> and so when I tell people that I did the long jump, they just naturally like, you would laugh, like you know, like I just did. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But Thanks. I actually Sorry. broke a school record um, once. I did it once. <laughs> nice. And um, got my letter for it, which was great in high school, but. Um, but they were always individual things. Yes, you do work as a team, and yes, there are team elements, and you train as a team, even if your sport is individual or your um, what you're competing in. And I think um, I think I prefer this way, being competitive against myself than others, yeah. because it helps really in all facets of life. But I think it's something that clients really enjoy. That I it's not that. Um, you know, we we always look, right? We don't like plan or do anything very narrow-minded. We always have our foot on, but we don't do it um, to be competitive or try and one-up anyone or anything. It is just to be aware of what's going on and then continue to just push forward myself. And I, I always want to be a better person any time I can. I think we're always sure. growing and evolving. And um, I think that competitive nature in me wanting to get better and push is a really big driving force for everything in my life. I, um, you know, if I come up against a challenge, which we all do, um, instead of caving under the pressure or letting the fear get to me, I really use that to drive me forward and and to keep moving. Um, And so being competitive against myself uh, is, is huge. (laughs) <laughs> which is funny because yeah. it's the opposite of, you know, working in sports if they are competitive. But, um, yeah, more more competitive with me and versus others. Yeah. Are there certain sports you tend to – I mean, obviously you said that you um, love the Lakers and soccer is the national sport of Egypt and probably just about every other country except the United States probably <laughs> or hockey in Canada. Um Baseball, you and I have talked in the past a lot about baseball. You've been to spring training probably multiple times, and, and as have I. Is there a sport that is really the one that you, either as a fan or just in the work that you get to do, that you really kind of gravitate towards, whether it's a personal preference or you just spend more time in a particular area? Um, I think personally I stick pretty well to my roots of um, basketball yeah. and Formula One racing. I think those are the two sports – I read almost every article about, I follow, and not just the Lakers, even though I'm a really big Laker fan, there are other players I enjoy watching. Um, And just the sport overall, it's just really exciting. I love the combination of entertainment and sports that basketball has done a really great job, I think. And Dr. Buss was really the first one to bring it to life with Showtime Lakers. And um, he really changed not just basketball, but sports overall had made it, it, he expanded the reach of who his potential fans could be. And I think that was brilliant, but it also was just such an exciting time. And and to continue that and to be either a part of it as a fan or as a PR um, person is really exciting. And I, I just love all of that. And there's so many different facets to it, but those are the two sports that I um, love more, uh, than anything, but I do love yeah. all sports. You have a favorite Laker? Pass or I, present? I can't ask. I can't answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, that's true. Now I'm not saying do you represent any. I'm just <laughs> good. Yeah, yeah. Memo to self, Ed. Don't ask a PR person who represents athletes if they have a favorite athlete. Yeah. Um, to do, be fair, I will one? say this because it, it uh, um, it's neutral. Um, while I have seen the greats and have lived through the tail end of the Lakers-Celtics rivalry. Um, My first player who I got to see play in high school and get drafted and really follow their whole career and was like my generation's player is Kobe. And 
he just is such an incredible person and everything he's accomplished um, is it far exceeds um, anything he did on or off the court, but it just was always so fun. And, and to see him grow as a player and, you know, I don't think he has a reputation of being a ball hog anymore like he did his right. first few years of Shaq and everything. And so, um, yeah, he definitely uh, is one of my favorites. Um, I mean, I've had the pleasure of working with other Laker greats, obviously after retirement, like um, mm -hmm. Kareem and some of his children's books he's done and um, all super great. One I'd love to meet is Magic Johnson. I feel like he just might be a really big teddy bear and friendly and yeah. nice to everybody. Yeah, that's how I feel too. He's you, you hit on some of my favorites as well. Kobe for similar reasons and the transit. I love transition stories. I love watching people grow. And obviously, you know, the young rookie kid who, you know, well documented, we don't need to do it here. And then the evolution through all the personal trials and so forth. And, and then just turning that around and just the, the redemption of his life, I think has been, it's, it's, it's a shame, obviously shame is the wrong word. It's just tragic how it ended, but his legacy lives on. And just, uh, it's, it's unfortunate that we don't get to see decades of Kobe Bryant after basketball and the great things he was just starting to do is dear basketball, you know, mm -hmm. Academy award and everything else. But, um, yeah, it's good. So when you look at someone as like a, a role model, you look, you talk a little bit about Kobe, you talk about some of these other athletes that you've worked with and, and others in general. But when you look back at uh, mentors or people that you really admire, is there a, before you, I want to ask you about early mentors and, you know, how you got into what you're doing, but is there a characteristic that you admire as you look at some of the people, we all look at people that we admire in our lives, I think, and then stop and think, well, what is it about that person I admire? Do you find that there's sort of a theme uh, an underlying characteristic that you see in people that you tend to admire a lot? Um, that is a really good question. I think, um, I think both honesty um, and being transparent is one, you know, whether it's good or bad. I mean, I think delivery is everything. I always say, mean what you say, but don't say it mean. Hmm. Um, because like delivery yeah. is really everything. Um, and um, I think that through my mentors, what I always saw, whether they realized it or not, is that they always approached people as being human first. And whatever they did for a career or whatever money they made, that never, you know, was really a factor. And um, I didn't realize it until you just said it now, but I always, I didn't realize it came from them and seeing them and how they treat people. Um, but that's how we always approach things, you know, especially working with high profile people, um, publicly, we put them on these pedestals and we assume, oh my gosh, they're like so great and you treat them different, but they want, they want to be seen as a person and a human being. And, and that's how we always approach things first, um, yeah. because they are, um, I have a funny story about my first experience about that later, but, um, I, that is something I had seen in. Um, my mentors and I think both me loving and being natural with people and building relationships and just interacting with them really helped. And, you know, my, because of also seeing that in my natural personality, I'm able to connect with anyone between CEOs of fortune 500 companies, billionaires, all the way down to janitorial staff and, um, and, everyone in between it, it's never really yeah. been, um, hard because I always approach it. I just look at everyone like they are, they're human. Um, and so that's something I've learned from my mentors really early on. Yeah. That's actually my favorite thing as well. I've talked about my dad a lot and a lot of people have met him either through all the zooms that we've done on, on, uh, during the past year, or I had him as a podcast guest. He's 94. Uh, still, you know, my greatest mentor, closest friend, confidant, going over to his house tonight to watch baseball like I do a couple nights a week at least. And he's the same way. I, I always joke about my dad that if you were just watching him and he was having a conversation with someone and you couldn't see who he was talking to, there are a lot of people where you can tell the status of the person they're talking to by the way they talk. You can't with my dad. And I've noticed that with you, too. That you just can't. And I try to be that way, too. I try to treat everybody equally with equal respect. 
Uh, everybody deserves our respect, I believe. For There might only be one sliver of a reason why they deserve it, but they deserve it because of that sliver, so give it to them. Yeah. And uh, that's, a, that's a great trait to have, especially in what you do, because you, you probably have a tendency to uh, be representing someone where a lot of people are looking at you going, wow, you get to work with that person. It must be so great. This guy's a legend. And it's like, well, yeah, they are, but it's also just John. You know, I mean, this guy, mm -hmm. what he does for a living is what he does. It's not who he is. Yeah. So, all right. Let's talk about those mentors then. So you talked to another story. You were a student at Vanguard. You were going to go into the medical field, which, you know, a lot of parents want their kids to, to go do. And you grew up in that culture. Um, talk about that transition of I'm not going to be a doctor. I'm going to go work in public relations and how that how that happened. Who was the, that mentor or that first that first uh, shining light that you looked at that opened your eyes to that? Yeah, I, um, I actually had a really great speech teacher in high school who was also teaching at the college I went to. And um, while I knew I loved communications and parts of it seemed to come really naturally, even though I don't think back then I understood that, um, I knew I really enjoyed it. I didn't necessarily know what I wanted to do with it. I had never heard of PR until my junior year of college in that PR class at Vanguard. And the professor of that class actually became my very first mentor and it happened very organically. And she's such a wonderful human being. And um, between her and some of my other uh, mentors I'll talk about, I genuinely do owe them my career um, because they gave me a chance and they sat with me to mentor me and, and really invested a lot in me. And, um, it never, they never made me feel like I was a burden when they were taking that time to invest, when I knew they had companies to run and clients to serve. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I admired that a lot, but, um, in, in that PR class, um, it was a, it was a requirement of my degree. And so I just, okay, I don't really know what PR is. I'll go. And, and I loved it from the first night of class. I just knew this is what I was made to do. I was put on this planet to do <laughs> whatever in PR. And then I had a guest speaker, John Christensen, who used to be the um, communications director for the Trailblazers, come and speak. And the sweetest human being on the planet. And <laughs> I had, like, you know, this aha moment of, oh my gosh, you can marry sports and PR together. And these are two things I love. Like, this is what I need to do. That's what I want to do with PR is work in sports. And, and immediately I was like, I'm going to do this for the Lakers because I love the huh, Lakers. Nice. And, um, yeah. and, uh, and I will get there one day. I haven't worked for the Lakers yet, but that is definitely a career goal that um, I still I owe you an introduction, by the way. <laughs> no, you're totally fine. I know I'm, I'm efforting I on that. She's a hard person to 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 nail down. Jeannie's a very she's a lovely, wonderful woman, a fantastic person, a very good friend, but extremely busy because it's not just the Lakers. I mean, she's round the clock year round, and, and basketball is not just a you know sport they play seven yeah. or eight months out of the year. It's every day. There's massive things going on anyway continue um and i thought that was great and um we had another guest speaker who interestingly enough had gotten laid off from his uh high level job at the irvine company and still came to our class i don't know why hmm. um he it was very gracious of him and he literally looks at a class full of like 20 some things and asks us what he should do with his career and I kind of laughed, like, bye, we don't know anything. And hmm. he said, I have the option. He had just gotten married. They had their first kid on the way. And he said, what do I do? Do I go look for another job or do I start my own company? And I think unanimously, we all thought, start your own company. Why not? We had no yeah. idea what that entailed. But it just sure. sounded more exciting. And I think we were all very enamored with him. He'll probably kill me for saying this. But huh. being at a faith-based institution, cussing is not a thing. <laughs> <laughs> that you yeah. do and he came in cussing like a sailor and we just thought it was so entertaining because these are things hmm. obviously we don't do and yeah. um or we shouldn't do especially in class and yeah. um and he still had all this energy even that he had literally just left some a career he had had forever and now he is jobless with a wife and a baby and um and 
he ended up, uh, we saw each other at an event I was covering. I used to do broadcast journalism. So I was covering this event here in Orange County and I ran into him. He was doing the PR for it. And I asked him, you know, what are you, what did you end up doing? I know we gave you this silly advice, right? As a bunch yeah. of college students. Um, did you find a new job or did you start your own? He said, I started my own company. And he was like, I can't believe you remember that. Let's work together. And he nice. gave me my first internship with him in PR. And um, and it just kind of evolved. And between the three of them, John, uh, Bill, and Stacy, who was my PR professor, the three of them were probably the best mentors anyone could ever ask for. And um, they really helped me grow into the professional and person that I am today. And um, I am forever grateful to them. I mean, there's stories for days of everything that they've done and how great, but um, yeah, that, that was really what set me up in my career. What do they have in common? Other than the fact that they mentored you, but I mean, are there, I, I, the reason I asked that question, again, we get to the why whenever I talk to people on the podcast and you know, why do we do what we do? Why do we admire the people that we admire? Uh, I could list 20 different mentors I've had in my life in sports and leadership and business and faith, you know, and friendships, but I could draw a correlation to probably pretty much all of them. And so I'm wondering if you can with, with those three. I think between the three of them, they were, they are genuinely good people at the core. There is never really a question of, well, maybe they could do that or well, they would have done that and it might not be great. There's never that, you know, exactly who they are and they're very consistent in that. And, um, I think being such a genuinely good human is something I hope everyone is attracted to. <laughs> but sure. um, I think with a lot of previous experiences in my life, I don't know that I genuinely had that. At, like you think at certain points you do, and then they tr- show you their true selves. And you're like, oh gosh, that's so disappointing. You're not who I thought you were. And you kind of move on and you go through life and everyone has these experiences. But with the three of them in the oh gosh, maybe 15 years I've known them. They've always been the same consistent people that they are. They treat everybody with respect. They want to give back and invest in others. And they have never wavered in that. Um, And their hard work and um, dedication and their work ethic um, and integrity that they have, that, you know, is what is very um, appealing and something that, all three of them had in common. Think about the last time you bought a gift for a friend or family member. The better you know them, the easier it was to get them something memorable, right? Well, it's the same for brands that want to deliver memorable customer experiences. The better they know their customers, the more likely they are to establish strong relationships, exceed expectations, and build loyalty. At McKenzie, that's what we do. We empower brands to understand and connect with the person behind the purchase so their customer experiences are meaningful, unique, and truly valuable. Learn more at mckenziecorp.com. You're at a point in your career now, you've had some success. I'm sure you've had students or others come to you uh, as a mentor. What do you look for when you choose to or choose not to mentor someone? Um, I think... That's a great question. I think that I, I think back to the, my three mentors I had and how that happened. It wasn't forced. It was very mm-hmm. organic. We genuinely got along and I felt comfortable with them to share both personal and professional things. And I think that is a really good quality to have in a mentor, being able to shift gears. It doesn't always have to be one or the other. It can be, um, but I think a lot of what happens in your personal life influences sometimes your professional life, yeah. even that day to day, you generally keep them separate. Um, and I think that's something that I want. I want to get to know them before I jump into something, but I also want to know that they're going to put in the work. Um, it's one thing to always kind of give out advice or suggest things or guide them or give them information, but what they choose to do with it is up to them. And I think for me, I want to know 
that there is obviously that level of trust between us and and them being um, open to putting in the work. If you say you want to get better and you want to have a mentor to help you through that, you have to also help yourself. And I think having a good give and take is important. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, if you're going to ask, I get college students walking into my office. For, well, they haven't in a year because I haven't been there. But when we're on campus, they'll come in and they'll ask for some guidance, which is great, and I love that. And and then they follow it up with, hey, I've got a job interview. Would you mind writing me a letter of recommendation? It's like, well, I just met you, and I don't even know your last name. So no. <laughs> but that doesn't no now doesn't mean no later. It just means no today. Um we have to earn trust. We have to earn, you know, I mean, before we put our reputation on the line, we mm -hmm. need to know who we're putting it on the line for. And uh, I, I found that thing is that, that to be true as well. The mentors that I've had in my life have taken as much of an interest in me. And I, I hadn't thought of it that way. Like you just put it as much of an interest in me personally as they do professionally, probably more personally, quite honestly. I've had a couple of times where a person has asked me, well, what would the impact of that be on your family? You know, I can help you get to that next level, but that sacrifice of wife and kids and time at home and, and you know, the other values you have. So, yeah, that's really important to look at the whole self. Yeah. I'm guessing in your line of work, you, you deal with that as well. You probably are not just representing, like you talked about Kareem as an example. We think of Kareem as this legendary, you know, Mount Rushmore type of basketball player, certainly in the top four for just about every list you ever hear of. So we all know him for his basketball accolades. Um, children's books isn't something that a lot of people I happen to because I know a lot about him, but most people don't. But there's the personal side as well. I'm sure you have to give, whether it's advice or at least be there for them on the personal side, too. I'm not asking you to divulge with Kareem as an example, but is that true, that there's a lot, that you're really working kind of a lot of times with the whole person, not just uh, yeah. what they are in public? Absolutely. Um, we Whenever we work with a new client if we hadn't known them previous i mean we do kind of tell them this half joking but very serious we do tell them you know in order for us to help you the best we are your best friend your therapist your uh priest yeah. your you know whoever yeah. we need we do really need to know it all and you know we may not need that information right now but somewhere down the line something may come up where it is helpful to have already had that historical background and, um, you know, everyone, um, there's always that saying where, you know, it's business, it's not personal. I agree with it to a certain extent, but business <clears throat> is personal, especially for the yeah. business owner. And when you are a public figure, you are the business. When you're an athlete, you move from, and this is some, a big thing we help a lot of our clients understand and see when they move from high school or college to pro, no matter what the sport might be. You're moving from an individual human being, you're still human, but you're moving from just being a player on a team um, to now being um, a business owner, a boss, yeah. you now employ people, you have agents, you have PR folks, you have managers, and these are all people who you employ and, and you on the business side become an, an, a business entity. You're and, a brand now. You're not yeah. just a kid coming out of high school. You become a brand. Kobe is very much, still is, oh, yeah. a brand. <clears throat> Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, when it's that, it, it is personal. We all have a personal reason why we do. You talk about why um, why we yeah. all do what we do. And, and that why is, I would say, 99% of the time, a personal why. Even yeah. if they say it's, well, I want to be the greatest. Why do you want to be the greatest? It, when you dig a little deeper, there, it, it always comes down to a personal something. And I think that is, um, you know, huge. And you know, people publicly don't always see all of that. And they don't necessarily need to. Um, but, yes, you deal with the whole person because their why and their families depend upon them or they um, – whether it's their own family, wife and kids, or husband and kids, it, it might be their parents or their mom or their dad or whoever. And, and so there is always um, a, a huge personal component, especially if they have foundations, right? They start those foundations because there's something personal that they're passionate about. And, um, you know, we take that very seriously. It's a reflection of who they are. And, and when you are sharing something personal, um, being vulnerable is a very hard place 
to be for anybody. Um, yeah. and, and that is a big thing that they deal with and they don't always know how to, uh, kind of negotiate with themselves and find that balance of being this high profile athlete, male or female, and then offering this personal side of themselves. That is a really tough, um, uh, tough balance. I think for folks to find within themselves. All right, so you walked into this room a little bit, so I'm going to do to you what you might do to them a little bit. So I'm going to ask you two questions. The first question is, so I, I did the math. I'm not going to divulge. You never divulge a woman's age, but you talked about college, and then you talked about maybe 15 years later. So have a hunch. You're probably mid-30s. What's a big goal that you have in your career going forward? I mean, you're 20 plus or so years younger than I am, and I've done a lot. In, the, in 10 years, but in the last 20 years, I've com I've had a complete career makeover in 20 years, not suggesting makeover for you. But I mean, when you think about, you know, being 40 or 50 or down the road, what are those big, big goals that you have in your career? And then the second question, I'm not going to tell you yet, but you might know what it's coming because we've said it a lot already. <laughs> um, career goals. Um, there are many, I think. Um, you know, obviously we want to continue to grow Revolver and especially in our sports division and we work to grow our uh, female athlete roster. Um, that's a big passion of mine that I want to um, continue to drive forward. And um, I think uh, for on a personal slash professional level, I do in my career, ever since I learned this was a thing, I want to... I want to win a creative Emmy. You can win an Emmy hmm. for social media, PR, anything yeah. creative. And I actually, I didn't know that until a, um, a Gally went to high school and college with, she won an Emmy for her social media work on the Ellen show. And I just thought, I called her and said, this is a thing. You can do this. That I had no yeah. idea. Nice. Um, and you know, I'm not going to be an actress or a singer or anything. So this is the one major award I could win. And, um, and so in my career, I'd love to, work with a company or a client or a person where we can do impactful, creative and strategic work. Um, and you know, the focus isn't the Emmy, the focus is the work and the results. And I, I believe when you work that hard on things, um, you know, the Emmy can organically follow whatever that process really looks like. But, um, yeah, I, I want to make an impact in the industry and I want to, um, kind of put my mark on it. Um, yeah. however long that takes, I don't necessarily have a time frame. I mean, time I started my there, company yeah. a lot younger than I thought I would. Sure. Um, and so, um, you know, I, uh, those are some of the big, the three biggest, uh, goals professionally I have. Um, at some point I'd love to make my way back to Abu Dhabi and maybe have an office out there. So <laughs> we'll see. Nice. I was going to ask my second question why, but you sort of answered that in in that in that answer. So I'm going to use the why. I'm going to I'm going to hold that why card for a second, and put it in a different framework. So this this man who had lost his job comes into your class, asks you, "What should I do with my career? Should I go work for someone else or start my own company?" It's a choice we've all made. Uh, every one of us, anybody with an earshot of this, has made that choice at some point in their life to be where they are. Uh, I work for another company, but I also have my own. I, I, I kind of do both. So why tell, tell us about Revolver and then why you chose to do this and also just the why behind the name. Um, the why behind the name. When you could name. just go work for someone else, yeah. Okay. Um, I did work for, I was very strategic in, once I knew I wanted to work in PR and I wanted to work in sports and marry the two together, um, I also realized at some point in my career, and again, I thought 40s, 50s, whatever, um, of starting my own company. And so I was very strategic in my career of, um, it worked at a startup with uh, two of my three mentors. They started their own company along with another woman. Um, and I learned, I wanted to learn what does it take to start a company? How do you get clients? How do you grow? How do you do all these things? And the next one was midsize and I learned processes and relationship building. And the next one I worked at before I started Revolver was a larger company. And I went with the mindset of thinking I would learn, how do you grow and scale a company? How do you get clients that are six figure retainers and, and how do you grow a team and how do you manage a team? And 
um, I ended up learning the exact opposite of all of Mm -hmm. that, but it was a very valuable lesson because it was a lot of lessons of what I knew I didn't want in my company when I started it. And I felt like that was more valuable than knowing what you do want. Um, I started revolver with the intent of, um, working ethically and with integrity, always treating people as people first career profession, whatever, um, second. And, um, I wanted to remove all of the layers, um, that hinder you from doing this great work. Um, there's a lot of bureaucracy that happens and the agency of record is starting to become less of a thing because of all the layers it takes to get approvals and, and move forward. And I wanted to ensure that whenever we were sitting in a room with a client, that the person from Revolver, if it wasn't myself, sitting there with them was a decision maker. So that way we could move quicker. And one thing that sets us apart, there are many, but one of them uh, is our ability to stay nimble. And I wanted to always maintain that when I started my own company. And I think we've done a great job at doing that for five years in now. So uh, awesome. Congratulations. No, that's great. You, you. Know, you know, the numbers, most companies don't make it past the first year. So yeah, it's fantastic. Um, so those so are why the name, the name actually, um, and while when we first started, people made the natural assumption it was either, um, related to a revolving door, um, which it's not, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or a gun. And I or a gun, yeah. very much not, um, into that. And, um, and it kind of helped me realize I do, while I am normally a very private person, it is important to share the story because one, I don't need those connotations with it, which we've eliminated. I think that was like a year one problem. And thankfully we've not yeah. really had an issue with it since. Sure. Um, thanks to really good branding and messaging um, from amazing people like Lynn, who you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And uh, the name came from, um, while I was in high school, I, and I did not see this until maybe only a few years ago. Um, I had a lot of different people saying, um, both in and out of, um, the church setting that I grew up in, they were like, well, they would always tell me like, you are destined for greatness. And I just thought, what? I don't even know what that means. Hmm. And I would just kind of shove the comment to the side. And again, being in high school, early years in college, it kind of is meaningless in the sense of, I don't know what that means. I don't see what you see. I'm just trying to make it through high school and graduate or, this class. or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and throughout college, um, you know, even my mentor Stacy said it to me and I was like, why do people keep saying this? This is weird. I don't, I don't understand what this means. And then after college, I was working at, um, uh, a, a private school and, Um, I worked a lot with the board members there and I had a few board members who didn't really know each other. Um, but the commonality was both myself and being on the same board together and separately, they would tell me like, what are you doing here? Like you, Hmm. you are meant for something bigger and better. And when they each separately told me you're destined for greatness, I just, it made me take a pause. I was like, I have heard that a lot. (laughs) What does that mean? And I didn't necessarily know really what it meant. But when one of those board members told me, you don't, you should not be here. You're destined for something bigger than this. I want to help you go Hmm. start your own company and I will come in as an investor. And I just thought, oh my gosh, someone believes in me that much that they're willing to put their own personal money behind me. That's a scary thought, but also exciting. And it, it made me take a step back and think, well, why do people keep telling me this? Like, what is it? I don't necessarily know that I I know what it is, but I have learned to embrace that. They see something in me I may not see wholly. Um, I think I do understand now pretty well my strengths and weaknesses. Um, And so I've learned to embrace this. You're destined for greatness. I, I don't know what that looks like, but I, because I think I've wholeheartedly said, okay, Cool. You, I am obviously destined for greatness. I mean, my faith mm-hmm. plays a big role into that and I have faith and I believe it and I'm willing to put in the work and I, you know, while COVID is not great, it has been 
good in certain ways that have allowed me a time to really invest into my company and to grow it, to really help reach whatever this greatness will look like. I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But because it was such a common thing that kept coming back over and over and over again, Revolver, as soon as I thought of it, I was like, that's it. That's the name. And it wasn't too soft given because I always thought I'd have this other name for my company. And when I defined the industries I wanted to work in, it seemed just too, too soft. It didn't speak to really who we were, who we were serving and Revolver PR did. And, um, and that's really why, because I've had that common yeah. theme come up so much. Um, and which is also why I kind of laugh, you know, while I say it's not about a revolving door, it was a theme that kept revolving around me for so yeah. many years. Well, and revolve, that's a great word, too, because, you know, our life revolves around our core values. And, you know, you talk about your faith. That's the same with me. And I think it's probably similar faith. Um, we should be driven. We should it should be very clear when someone looks at us and works with us, even for a minute, what's important to us. And that's one thing that I think why, I, you know, when Lisa introduced the two of us and I think we just struck up a friendship immediately. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I can remember we're sitting in a restaurant and I think she got up and went to the restroom or something. You and I were just sitting at the table talking for a little bit. It's like, man, this is, this person gets it, you know? And so it's, it's really cool. So let me ask you a question really quickly. What do you, you talked about your strengths and weaknesses and people hate this question, but I always ask it. What are your strengths? I mean, it, honestly, I mean, not don't sell me or sell the audience on this, but I mean, what what is it that you think that you do really well that has led to the successes that you've had to this point in your career and why why people want to not only come work for you, but with you? Um, I think that my love of people um, and and while as PR, we are storytellers, yeah. I love hearing other people's stories. And you can learn a lot from listening. I'm a big believer in that. But I, I think just um, because I genuinely love and thrive being around other people and embracing different cultures and backgrounds and everything and, and just learning from them, I think that um, it just seems really easy and natural. Um, I mean, you know, it's not 100% of the time, but a larger yeah. percentage than not. Um, I think, like you said, I, we just there's just something natural and organic. And I think it is because it just is who I am. And as long as I can remember, I've always loved being around people and being really outgoing. Um, and, um, and my faith is a big part of it. I always, um, you know, cliche, right? You want to treat hmm. others how you want to be treated. And, yeah. and I do believe Golden in that. Rule for a reason, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, there's something a college professor of mine who actually now is the dean of, or not the dean, the president of Vanguard, who was a professor at the time I was there, said, um, there was this one phrase. I may not remember anything else he taught us, but I do yeah. remember this one thing. Um, there is this phrase, I believe it's Hebrew, and it's um, sola fide, and it means only by faith. And hmm. when he said that, that really struck something within me that I've never let go of. Um, while I don't have any tattoos, I always said, if I did, this is what it would be. There's the one. Yeah. Um, and, um, and I've always stuck to that. I've always, I've always trusted my gut. It's never led me wrong, good or bad, but that faith and taking the leap and whatever it is in it, whatever scenario, uh, that is always something that, has stayed with me and it's also something I've always seen my mom have and she is I wish I could say I was half the woman she is she is very mm -hmm. much incredible and has been through so much in her life but the one thing that never wavered was her faith and because she always leaned on it in good and bad times just seeing her come out of those things and how strong she is I just think like oh my god I don't how how are you such a great person like I want to be mm -hmm. more like you and I know that you're like that because of your faith um, and, and I, I want, I, I want that. I want to yeah. make sure I always lean on that. And I think, um, just coming from a place of being genuine and authentic is a big reason. I think why 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I uh, in my sports leadership class, and I want to have you come speak to my class when we're back in session. It'll probably be in the in January of next year. One of the things that I ask my students to do every semester, every quarter out at UC Riverside is I want them to write a paper about, uh, we talk about the difference between leadership and management in the class. It's a leadership sports leadership class. And I ask them to write their, their term paper is about a leader that they admire and why. And you talk about faith and I, and the reason that I do this and the correlation that I'm making here is the characteristics that we admire in others are typically characteristics that we are adhering to ourselves or trying to. And so as you talk about your faith and how important that is to you, and I don't mean your religious faith, I mean just your faith in humanity and people and in causes and what have you. If I'm somebody considering doing business with you, I need to know that I can have faith in you. And because faith is so important to you, this is my little commercial for Revolver and for what you do. It wasn't intended, but it's just it's just a natural, you know, if, if character and faith and trust and honor are important to you, then, boy, that's kind of somebody I want to work with. So that's uh, that's that's great that you that it so resonates with you. And like I said, when we first met, you know, I, I remember driving home and I'm just thinking, man, that's the person that just really, like I said, just gets it. And that's one of my favorite characteristics about people, people who just get it, that emotional intelligence that people have, regardless of whether they're 14 or 94, you know, EQ is, is not a, it's not an age. It's, it's a, it's a getting it. So that's yeah. pretty awesome. Hello. My name is John Royce Lynch, founder and CEO of PCMA private client. As a former professional surfer and native of Southern California, I've always enjoyed Wahoo's fish tacos. When the pandemic hit, the response by Wahoo's was unparalleled creating the California Love Drop by supporting frontline workers and those in need. On behalf of the PCMA private client community and our amazing team, it is an honor to be able to support this noble effort. To lend a hand and to learn more, please visit californialovedrop.org. What's the toughest thing about your job? Oh gosh, there are many. From what Where do I start? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just so when, when you say, just man, this is working. really hard. Yeah. Just, yeah. Anything, what comes to mind when you think about what some of the hard things are that you can, that you can share anyway? Um, Not who, but what? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Boy, that one, um, if it wasn't for all those students, my class would be great. Yeah. Yeah. Without all that grading those papers, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If I don't have to grade papers when the semester is over, that, that is the hard part, but part of what I do. Um, Biggest challenges or just yeah, or, you know, or... challenges or how? What is there a hurdle or a challenge that you are? I'll ask it differently. Is there a hurdle that you really had that just seemed, un, you know, just too difficult to overcome? And then how did you overcome it? And you know, what was the breakthrough? Maybe. Um. Professionally or personally. That's uh, your answer. Um, well, I um, early in my life, I had, uh, and I didn't know this, right? As a kid, you don't get these things. Um, I had someone in my life who was not super supportive of me specifically. I'm not really sure why me out of our four siblings. And uh, it was, as I got older, it got tougher. And and I also started to realize what was really happening and understand it. And uh, it really, really helped shape probably everything that I am yeah. today. I mean, there's other things as well, but this was a really big challenge that um, I didn't understand what was happening to me for such a long period of time. I thought things that were going on were normal and, uh, and, and that was, I, I think a, a part of it, I chalked up to our culture as well. Um, just being a little bit tougher and emotions, um, are not, um, emotions are not normally something you talk about and you kind of just keep things yeah. to the side and keep it moving. And it's a lot about perception, which is hilarious because 
I work in PR and while not everything is about, per, I mean, it yeah, is about perception. Yeah. You, you, you realize the things that were happening as a kid, all um, parents and aunts and uncles, they want to keep everything, uh, the perception of everything that it's all fine and, and dandy. And um, more often than not, it, it isn't because people aren't perfect. And, um, you know, you communicate and you don't, there's a lot of different ways to kind of work through it. Um, but I had, um, I'm fast forwarding through it and I never really under fully understood it. I was in college and one of my professors in our film class had worked on this documentary on the side. She was a really big Sony executive and this was still on the side of that and trying to teach the future yeah. creatives. <laughs> um, and so we went, um, they did like a little screening with some of uh, the women in the documentary um, on campus for us. And we obviously went to support her. She was one of our favorite professors and we thought this was gonna be great. None of us really had any idea what this documentary was about. Hmm. And as we're watching it and the lights are dark, there's probably 2000 people with us. And, um, and I remember getting to the end of this documentary and it was about women who essentially had kind of snapped because they were um, abused in whatever their relationship was, both physically, emotionally, mentally, and uh, ended up getting convicted and going to jail. So they, they hmm. followed a few different women, but one in particular, they followed a little bit more, um, was with us at that, um, at that screening. I mean, we knew someone would be, but again, as college students, probably weren't paying enough attention to what this topic really yeah. was. <laughs> You're thinking about what's next more than what's now when you're yeah. in college a lot. Well, we just thought we were supporting our professor because we liked her. And I remember getting to the end of this documentary where they're following these women around and um, and essentially saying, you know, in self-defense, something obviously negative had happened and they were being punished for it. But the reason behind it was right. And, I, and I'm not saying this to like condone physical violence or murder or anything like that. That was their story. And I just remember getting to the end of the documentary and hoping and pleading the lights would not turn on. Hmm. Because I had this moment where I realized those women in that documentary were me. And that was tough. Yeah. Because I also realized in that moment, I became a statistic. And that is not a fun realization to have. And through that experience and seeing that documentary and understanding what was happening to me at 22 years old is a lot. And I could have very easily allowed what was happening to me since the age of seven because just the earliest I could remember it might have been longer yeah. until the age of 22 that's such a long span it is a very easy thing to allow that experience to take you down and to do nothing with your life and feel like just another statistic who's going to care about me who's going to care about my story and and I didn't feel like it was a, a story right I just you know you feel shame and you feel afraid to say anything because it was happening for so long for people who that hasn't happened to they don't understand it right so they think it's your fault well why did you say why did you do this and it's not that simple mm -hmm. and when i realized all this was happening and and that was i mean not to that extent right i was i didn't do anything negative <laughs> to <laughs> have fully been in their shoes but i understood the basis of the story and um, that documentary was called Sin by Silence. And I understood what that meant because by me never speaking up and partly not really understanding that that was wrong and that wasn't normal and not okay, the things that were happening to me, when you are silent, it allows that sin to keep going and being repeated because there's no consequence for that person or people who are doing something wrong. And right. you have to speak up, no matter what the situation is. And I learned that I do have a voice and I don't have to stay silent because it's someone who should 
love me and care for me and that's their responsibility as the person in their life i mean i in this scenario is the kid and so as the kid you're supposed to look out for and you didn't you were the one causing that harm and and so i learned to use my voice that i had one and i didn't have to just sit there and and allow it to continue to happen and as i kept setting my boundaries and and setting that up i used that to fuel me and that is a really big driver of why i hustle as hard as i do why i want yeah. to treat people like people and why i am attracted to other people who are genuinely good people at the core and it sounds silly to keep saying it but it's true because you can on the surface think someone is really great and they can give you that facade and that perception that they are great and um but you never really know what's going on behind the scenes and i think that also has equated to having more emotional intelligence because no one ever knew what was happening i never said anything and you know it's not normal to be wearing sweatshirts and sweaters in 113 degree mm. weather <laughs> in the summertime in the desert where we grew up and but i think in the back of my mind that was something in me saying like this isn't right but not necessarily knowing it until I saw documentary and so so I've never shared that story before with anyone. Wow. No, I could tell. Um yeah. Yeah, thank is, you. That's the, my the, talk about you, you said a word vulnerable before you shared the story and I didn't ask you the harder to try to get you to be vulnerable. I I know that there are topics that a lot of people don't want to talk about and I, I I truly admire you for having the courage to to not only share it now, but to live your life in a way. You know, there are chains in families that go back. We have it in our family. Um, I'm not going to it's not my story to tell, so I won't tell it. But in my family that I married into and in my own family, there are chains that are there of behavior in people before us and probably some in our own behavior, too. None of us is perfect. But the beauty of that is that we have the opportunity and the ability to break those chains. And what I'm seeing in you, you're a chain breaker. I mean, there's, you know, these chains are not, sorry, you got emotional. No, I'm emotional. I'm a very emotional person. Um, I, I, I never knew what it was. There's a lot that I look at that I admire when I, when I talk to you and get to know you and have gotten to know you over the last few years. Um, now I know why. I know, I know more why. I've seen what you've overcome without knowing that. And uh, the strength that you have is you're a chain breaker. You're, 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 you're not going to treat anybody the way you were treated because you know what it feels like. You have empathy. And uh, I think that's one of the greatest traits that you can have. You're, you're, you're helping these people tell, tell and share their story. And you're a storyteller. And uh, I just think it's beautiful that you're, you're using the life experiences, good and bad, that you've had in your life to, to make a difference. So thank you for for standing up. And I, as you were talking, I'm thinking, well, we'll probably edit this out because this is pretty tough. But uh, and I'll leave that up to you. But I do think that at least portions of this, there are some things that some people need to hear. I had Denise Brown on my very first interview I did. Her sister, Nicole Brown Simpson, was, you know, we know the story about what happened with her. Um, and there's a lot of people since that episode came out in early 2020 that have reached out to her and to me as a result of the story being shared and, and hopefully we've gotten out of bad situations as a result. So thank you for the courage and, uh, and just making a difference, man. You're just, you're, you're, you're just doing it. And I just, I love that. So you're awesome. Thank you. I know you're up against a hard stop and it's hard to just shift gears now. Um, and I, I, I hope I don't, uh, <laughs> that this hasn't left you in a funk. I hope if anything, you'll recognize that what you're doing with your life is just remarkable. What, what, someone wants to reach you. Someone's watching this today, and maybe they want to reach out to you because of what you do for a living, or they want to reach out to you because of what you just shared. Um, what's the best way for someone to get in touch with you? Um, you can definitely reach out to us. Um, feel free to slide into the DMs in a kosher mm -hmm. way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> on um, Instagram, it's Revolver PR and Revolver Sports. Um, and same with our website, revolver-pr.com, if you want to get a hold of us and um, chat more, whether it's professionally or personally, um, definitely open to it. And uh, thank you for 
having me on and for making me feel as comfortable as I did to share. <laughs> um, so I appreciate that. And I um, can't wait to see what's next. Well, you've got some great things ahead, too. Um, like I said, I've changed a lot in the last 20 years or so in my career. And uh, I wasn't on the path at 35-ish or mid-30s that you are. And so I admire what you're doing and, and look up to you in so many ways. You know, like I said, age and EQ has nothing to do with a number. So um, a lot of things we didn't get into that are still in my notes. Um, I'm glad I have a Kleenex nearby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, will, uh, I will ask you my final question, which is a question I ask all my guests. And uh, it's... Uh, I've thought about asking a different question and I've been coached by a lot of people not to because it's really the gist of why I started this whole podcast. And that is Amanda, what's in your heart? Gosh. <laughs> Other than the last hour of things you've shared, obviously. Um, um, I don't know. I mean, there's plenty, right? Um, yeah. But when you put someone on the spot, it's suddenly like you have no idea. <laughs> Almost like when yeah. you're in a job interview, like, tell me about yourself and what you've yeah. done. You suddenly yeah. feel like, I've never done anything in before yeah. in my life. <laughs> what are your weaknesses? <laughs> well, I can think of 30. Do I want to share that one? Yeah. Um, I, I think at some point in my life, no timeline associated, um, I would probably like to get to a point where uh, I am more comfortable telling the full story to help others. Hmm. Um, but I think for now, the way that I'm able to show support or try and help and really break that for other people is um, working with Royal Family Kids um, and the camps that they do. Uh, they take kids in the foster system who've been abused and neglected and, and let them be kids for a week at their camps yeah. and they bring in athletes and speakers and celebrities and it just it's really this amazing um, non-profit and they, they do these camps all over the country they happen to be based their headquarters is in Orange County but I grew up with them back home and I think I knew uh, you know I've always had a big heart for kids and to see any kid who had been in the same situation that I have been, I want them, I want them to succeed outside of it. I don't want yeah. them to be a victim of their circumstance. And it is a really hard thing to find the strength within yourself to push through because it's not, you can have support and that's great, but there's got to be a little bit of that fire in you. And I want to be able to help give that fire as much as I can. I don't always know how to or that answer, but I love the work that Royal Family Kids Camps are doing. And, um, and that's something really big that I love to support and I have since I was a teenager. Um, and um, I think for me, I thought is that's what's in my heart. I can do all these really great things with athletes and celebrities and notable public figures and become one if that was what ended up happening in my life but none of that really compares to what I feel like um, the work that could be done to really help these kids and break those uh, those cycles and whatnot for them I think at the end of the day that's even bigger and <laughs> more important sure. than what I do in my work um, as uh, doing PR for sports entertainment lifestyle brands I think it's, it's these kids at the end of the day 